Welcome back to Incremental, the Continuous Improvement Podcast, this week's practice edition. I'm Devin Bedoni. And I am Uriel Eisen. Uh, So we're going to be talking about uh, some improvements we made this last week, things we're thinking about, and focusing on actual implementation in the shop, nitty gritty, how we go about that, uh, problem solving, etc. Yeah, so I think the goal is our Wednesday episode is more on the concepts of lean and Toyota production system and other things we're thinking about. And then this is more where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Um, I have a quote. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. (laughs) That's attributed to Mark Twain, actually unknown. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's good. It's good. I feel like, uh, talking about like taking small steps to test ideas, it sort of gets at that, right? It's like, I think you often can sit around planning things and then you have a lot of ideas about, I don't know, the stuff you research and then you implement something and it's something you didn't even think to think about (laughs) that really gets you. And uh, yeah, just staying aware of that or humble. well, it's also, it's just like any place you think you fully understand, you don't bother to look. Right. And right. you never fully understand everything. Yeah. So you got to keep your eyes open. <laughs> uh, test ideas. Um, well, we did some little stuff this week, mostly little stuff. But um, one small thing was we made 3D printed some collet organizers for mm-hmm. our ER collets. And no, no real like aha moment there. It was just a mess. <laughs> and the a collet is uh, a thing in a machine. I mean, in a machine shop that there's a lot of them. Yes, and they're small, and they like to roll around. They like to roll around, <laughs> and you need multiples of the same size often because it basically is used to hold a tool. So like yeah. if you have more than one quarter inch tool, you need more than one quarter inch collet. And so yeah. you have extras and yeah, they're yeah. a mess. Um, and so like actually one of the very first things Ariel did when she first came on as a part-time employee, like mm-hmm. a couple of years ago was make some little foam inserts for our shallow bins. Oh, nice. That they could stick into. Um, but she was kind of new to it. It was a little random. The holes weren't quite the right size. And then there also, there just wasn't enough of them because we got more tools and more collets as, mm-hmm. as time went on. Um, and then uh, Dylan at Proteum and from the Within Tolerance co- uh, podcast had made those puzzle piece ones. Yep. So I'd looked at those, um, but it didn't seem like the best use of space for how we for our storage system. Okay. Cause the, the call it or the puzzle inter interface takes up a lot of space mm-hmm. that you can't put collets in. So I made them on the shallower bin Lista pattern. Oh, nice. So they match the exact size of bins. They're not, they don't fit into a bin. They are the size of a bin so they can replace it mm-hmm. um, on the same grid pattern. Um, and we're getting good use of space. Nice. It's been great. Um, one interesting thing was, a lot of people reached out about how we could further organize. Um, and this is something I have thought a lot about over the years. And I wouldn't say I have a clear rubric on how to proceed, not mm-hmm. just with collets. I don't spend my <laughs> evenings thinking about collets, but on organizational systems in general. Um, I think riding the line between flexibility and specificity is something we're always battling or not battling, but is a challenge we're always dealing with. Um, you know, we talk about that in automation, you know, how, totally. how flexible is the system versus how quick it is. Or I think in, in everything there is sort of a, a, a um, yeah, you have uh, flexibility versus specialization. And yeah. as you increase flexibility, you're, yeah, as you increase specialization, the flexibility often decreases. Yes. And um, I had that, I was building out a car to sleep in and I kept trying to come up with better build outs. 
But the more I built it out, the less it was useful as just a car, right? <laughs> and so I really ended up keeping it very, very basic. And yeah. And so I've thought about that, you know, like stock organization is a big one. It's very easy to be like, okay, I'm going to make a thing that's for every size stock. Right. Sounds amazing. Sounds wonderful. And then you find out that, uh, well, it turns out we use a lot of inch and a half stock and all the inch and a half stock doesn't fit in the inch and a half slot. So then you start putting inch and a half stock in the one inch slot. And then pretty soon the one inch slot is buried behind a bunch of, or the one inch stock is buried behind a bunch of inch and a half inch stock. You can't find it. And then you order more because you can know it was there. Anyway, (laughs) totally. You see where that goes. And I think it's the same often with, uh, you know, with whatever tool organization or call it organization where, um, I think there, there are ways you can organize and divide things that are, can be very good. Mm -hmm. So for example, I am thinking about making different colored, uh, call it organizers that are specifically for like tap call it's or metric versus standard. Interesting. Cause I think those are very easy delineations to make. And it's kind of like a big group where you're not dealing with right. like as soon as you get to the level of being like, okay, this rows for eighth inch collets, this rows for quarter inch collets, you end up, you likely end up unless you have extremely good prediction in that same scenario where all of a sudden you have one more quarter inch collet then fits in the row. And then you break your system or, <clears throat> yeah, or you, yeah. The other option that I see often with organization is, you can make a really, really specific system, but it ends up taking up a ton of space because to accommodate all of the possible permutations or all the possible versions, you just yeah. have like a bunch of empty space, right? Like yeah. what's the max number of quarter inch collets we could ever conceivably have? Sure. And it's like <laughs> half of the space is empty. Yeah. Yeah. So for the moment, kind of my the way we've been going about things in general is to try and like keep the divisions as large as possible until we find that we need more specificity. And that has mostly worked well. Interesting. Yeah. I I think this sort of gets back to the concept of just um, like PDCA, right? Plan, do, check, act. And the smaller those cycles are and the faster they are, the less rework you tend to have to do and the less waste you tend to produce. both physical goods, but also just like design time, right? Like you design, if you design one 3D printed tray for just ER 16 collets, like it's easy to get carried away and be like, all right, we're doing this. And then you do the 32s (laughs) and then you do all the things and then you print one and realize that your design is a bad design, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think, you know, I think there will be some good options to be like an easy way to distinguish coolant ceiling collets versus mm. not. Like that's a valuable, that's a valuable thing that's otherwise maybe hard to see to an untrained eye. Whereas even in a massive ER 16 collets, if you know you're looking for an eighth inch, like most people will find it very fast. My experience has been like, you know, you got an eighth inch tool in your hand, you just poke it around for a second. Right. Or, you know, if you're more experienced, you probably just pick it out because you know what size it looks like. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that was kind of an interesting, uh, exp- it has been an ongoing exploration. We're still dealing with that with like, how do we manage drills effectively, especially as we add more sizes of specific drills Yeah, and this larger grouping of, uh, and we talked about this a little bit, I think last week, maybe the week before of with tools, what is a tool that should be, uh, kept in a holder versus what is a tool that should be broken down when Mm -hmm. it's done. And that carries through into your tool storage of does this tool get a defined bin and a defined Kanban? Does this tool go in sort of a general, like we have kind of like a one job use area for stuff that it's like, it's not, it's not worth making a bin for this. Like we are literally going to use it once. Right. Probably. And do you throw those away at the end of the job or you keep them? The tool? Yeah. Um, If they're good, we'll usually keep them. We don't have a ton of them. That's part of why that system I think works right now. Yeah. But it still is a, like where you have to, and this kind of comes back to the documentation question of like, where's our trigger point? 
where what the one becomes the other. Yeah, I think I think making that explicit in general feels really challenging, but it's worth doing even so that you learn that you are wrong. <laughs> Do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah. I think it's really easy to just be like, well, it's unclear, so we just keep playing it by ear instead of observing like taking a guess and then observing how frequently you're right or wrong on that guess Mm -hmm. and then kind of adjusting it um yeah that's a i i I, it also makes me think it's so easy to become um overwhelmed by the number of options a particular thing has and not try to systemize it and i more and more feel like it's worth systemizing 85 percent Right. Like there's the 80 20 rule uh-huh. where like 20% or, you know, 80% of your whatever is, is, uh, is 20% of the effort or, or 80% of your jobs are 20% of the tools, probably. Right. Uh-huh. And then it's like until you start thinking about that, it's easy to just be like, man, this is like this such a mess. And I mean, I have the same thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's, and it's easy to try to systemize the whole thing. And I just wonder, recently if it's worth just saying like okay let's just make a distinction between um systemized and non-systemized mm-hmm. right and have just that distinction there and we'll just worry about the 80 percent of things for now instead of trying to come up with the system that accounts for a hundred percent of variables sure i don't know yeah i think the thing that we the thing I what the interesting part of the tooling parts problem specifically is that it is like a an organically changing system mm-hmm. where you might order a tool for one job it is not a standard tool okay you discover it's very useful <laughs> I see where this is going <laughs> and it becomes a standard tool I see. So then where's the trigger along that line exactly right where, where you where somebody in the system takes the time and says we've what is it we've used it twice now we've uh-huh. used it three times um is it does it come from me and Cam where I decide oh I'm using this again I'm going to flag it as a standard tool. And then what happens with that flag and what is the list of act actions that need to happen and yeah. make a kanban and make yeah give and it I, a bin i think it's a i mean it's probably an issue in all businesses but i think in our size where we are growing we're we're adding capacity and capability and taking on new and different projects all the time yeah it is always going to be a uh an issue that we are going to have to deal with yeah i would be tempted to reach out to companies that do it well, it seems like the answer, the industry answer is having a massive tool crib with people dedicated to kind of that, that part of the business, the management. Yeah. Making sure they're clean, making sure they they're ordered and all that and make sure they're kind of set up and on hand and at the right machine at the right time, which maybe that is a full-time position at some point at some uh. scale, but it feels very much like some tours I see shops kind of boasting about the size of their tool crib and like how much money they have tied up in holders and different <laughs> and all the options. And it's kind of like as a customer, you're paying for that, right? Or they're conducting or or they're accepting low profitability. Yeah. One or the other. And so yeah, I don't know. Optimizing around flexibility instead of cycle time might be a worthwhile thing to make explicit kind of Mm -hmm. and i know i have in our production and i don't know that i'm at the right point you know the right set point in there but yeah i think we do the same i mean partially just due to the the machines we've chosen to use right like for a lot of the parts like i think our machines are extremely efficient the brother machines are very fast yeah very efficient for the right kind of work for some of the work we're doing there I'm, I'm sure they're not hmm. just from a roughing standpoint and we're interesting you know doing a, a four by six by ten inch block and we're removing a lot of material it's not the best machine for that probably huh. um but you know i think at, overall in the business we're coming out on the the right side i think yeah i don't, I don't have good data on that but yeah 
yeah. Anyway, so that was a interesting, just little exploration based on some people's feedback on Instagram, which was cool. So you're kind of reviewing their feedback and thinking about the like actually implementing it and just realizing that it might get too specific. Is that kind of the gist I mean, it's, of it? It's it was really just looping me back to a thought I've had for a long time. I see, and it's something that I see all across the business. I see it in stock organization. I see it in tool organization. And you see it. Um, you know, you can say kind of see it in work holding. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really just this thing of like, it's, it's a principle that yep. flows through everything. Um, it's glaring in some, in, I think specifically in like organizing in bins, like that's a glaring example. Organizing different sizes of stock is a glaring example where it's right. very easy to see. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Oh, I thought it might be worth going over the eight lean waste just yeah. to keep them uh, fresh in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, get to a point where you can kind of rattle them off. Um, not for the sake of rattling them off, right? But I think it it is helpful to give things names. Um, so when you're walking around, you can kind of go. I found it helpful to run through them, looking at a process and saying, "Where am I seeing this waste? And where am I seeing that waste? Or which wastes do we see here? Or which wastes is this?" implement is this uh improvement reducing yeah um so we have overproduction overprocessing excess inventory defects transportation wasted motion waiting and wasted human potential yeah um yeah all of them are pretty interesting i think it took me a long time to think to to wrap my head around why overproduction was the biggest waste um it just seems completely insane that making the part <laughs> that you are selling is a bad idea. Um, but yeah, um, that's them. So kind of interesting. Um, so we modified a little improvement we made this week um, was modifying the procedure so that when someone um, racks parts for paint, they actually take that opportunity to start the part the paint that will we will be using that day um put it on we have these little magnet mixers from like labs um so that was interesting um from a for a few reasons um basically i guess going back to those eight lean wastes um the result the the thing we were fixing was essentially waiting so i someone would rack the parts i'd go to paint them and then realize that the part that the paint hadn't been mixing for long enough so i'd basically like Uh. either wait there for it to mix but more often kind of walk away and go do something else um but really you know painting earlier in the day is better and kind of just reducing that time so Someone is already, oh, and we have, anyway, we have an area of the shop that takes a little bit longer to get to. And so if someone's already there racking parts, they may as well set up the paint to mix. Uh-huh. Um, that gets back to the SOP question. It's not documented anywhere what that job entails. Yeah. And so it's going to be very easy to forget, right? Yeah. And then walk away. Um, there's also just like the way of starting paint to mix. If it's settled out too much, the magnetic mixing bar is just sort of I picture it sort of like laying in sediment. And mm. so the magnetic mixer can't like break it free. Oh. So you can easily put it on the mixer and turn the mixer on and it doesn't actually do anything. So there's just like some knowledge to be transferred there to a new person using that equipment that is all in my head and is all tribal knowledge and should not be, should made be made explicit and should have a clear method and ideally verification, but I'm not sure how we'll verify it unless we... Anyway, so that's something to think about. Um, Yeah, so that was that was one. Oh, we got a uh, another improvement. Um, We got a backpack vacuum, one of those Milwaukee thingamajiggies. Yeah, what Um, do you think? We'll see. We just got it set up today, Uh so we haven't had a lot of opportunity to use it. Uh, The thought there is kind of, I don't know if this gets to like SMED single minute exchange of dyes, but I just find like making things reducing the friction to do an activity i don't know i think there's two ways of going about um increasing like doing a particular thing one which is sort of the conventionally taught way is like don't be lazy like be more uh diligent and um (laughs) you know and like if if the floor needs to be vacuumed vacuum it um but like our current vacuum is huge and annoying to pull around the shop can't get to the upstairs 
and then the hose lives somewhere else. So you have to go get the hose. The wand lives <laughs> somewhere else again. <laughs> and it's just like a terrible vacuum for our space, basically. It's just yeah. way too big. Um, and so it just means that there's like that added friction. And so, um, you know, another example is like we've been trying to declutter and you can say like, okay, let's list X number of things on eBay per week or something. But you could also kind of look at like, what are the actions that need to happen that we're kind of, that are hanging us up. And the big one at the moment is uh, photographs, like getting good pictures oh. of the items. And so like on our to-do list that we haven't gotten to yet is to have just a designated photography area, not only for selling stuff, but also a bigger reason is uh well it is selling stuff but selling our product right so like yeah. a big part of adding another color or adding <laughs> yeah. another webbing type or something is at taking really nice photos of it yeah and the nicer the photos are the less we have to do in post processing which could be thought of as over processing right you like you already take a photo and because you didn't do a good job you have to then like tweak it um so well, actually wouldn't overprocessing be um doing more than the customer requires i think that's overproduction no overproduction is making more of them oh what are you i think i've always thought of overprocessing as being like <clears throat> like doing making beautiful surface finishes on a part that the customer doesn't see oh i don't think well we could look it up um my what i understood it to be is over processing is sort of like if i take we had this in quality control so we'd take we do qc we'd write the quantities of the different types of rejects on a card mm -hmm. we would then walk that card over to a computer and type it into a spreadsheet yeah and so that data was being over processed it was sort of getting processed once onto a card and then processed again into the computer sure um or like if you um i mean there's so many examples of over processing well yeah no it's doing more work than is than is necessary i don't think it's necessarily to a higher standard my understanding was just that it's like I pick up a part and put it into a bin that then gets carried over to a place and gets picked up again and put into another bin. Sure. I think uh, that's that, one version of it. Yeah. And I think another aspect of it is doing, just be, doing things that are, well, I guess it's maybe just doing yeah. things that are unnecessary. <laughs> I guess, I guess so. that the distinction maybe is like, you do need to edit your photos if they're not up to quality because they're defects otherwise. But yes. the goal would be to not have to do that that work that extra work yeah is to like get our lighting right such that when we take the photo it's good yeah um and i think i think the over process maybe it's mostly in the machinist world but uh -huh. i think like there is egregious over processing in the machinist world sometimes or at least in the instant machinist world okay of like everything has to be blingy and perfect and beautiful yeah versus being like the customer is not paying for you know, whatever, a two RA finish on this part. Like, yes, it's beautiful and it makes me feel great. And I can make a wonderful photo and I'm proud of this and yeah. all that. But like, if you're not making good money on them because you're, you know, increasing your cycle time for finishes that the customer doesn't care about. Right. I think that's also over processing. Interesting. I could see that. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, another improvement we made was a checklist on the CNC on a four by six card. Uh -huh. Um, so that is basically, and it's something we've been talking about for weeks, but like these SOPs, um, point and call kind of just like making sure that a process is happening the same way every time. Yeah. And if you give someone too much detail at that process, someone who does it every single day, you start to not read through the checklist, right? If it's like a million details and all this minutia, that's like, you you got it, right? You, yeah. Then you stop really actually reading it and you're kind of just memorizing it. Um, so our latest iteration are these short checklists that are really just like, we are making sure that we're not gonna crash the CNC, right? Like we're hitting the things that are really important uh -huh. um, and that's it. Um, and then breaking off the rest of the information into other documents. Um, but really just, uh, those checklists. Um, so, so we made, we made some of those and they're, 
laminated at the CNC. Uh, they all need updating already, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> um, and so we're kind of just taking notes on them and then at some point we'll redo them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's been big. And, uh, you know, a while ago we were sort of talking about like mental load. Um, it really decreases mental load. Um, it should decrease, uh, defects. Um, uh, and I, yeah, so I think mental load is maybe that wasted human potential. Um, and then the defect there is your part, but it can also be your CNC (laughs) (laughs) of crashing the CNC and messing something up. Yeah. That's expensive. It's so, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, a small thing we just, uh, we need a new shipping tape. Okay. Where it was time to order again. Um, so we decided to get some branded shipping tape. Very cool. So that was kind of fun. Um, is that expensive? Um, it's like double the cost. Okay. So yes, but no, right. Like in the grand scheme of things. It's, <laughs> so it goes from like five cents on a box to 10 cents on a box or something like that. Probably. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I, we actually got both cause we also, which I mean, maybe like we use a lot, a fair amount of tape just for like wrapping parts within a box sure. and, and stuff. And maybe we'll just end up using it for everything. We'll see. Um, and the quit, like whether we want to use that when we ship to anodizing, like, I don't know if that's beneficial right. at all. They're not necessarily our customer, but they maybe having, you know, their, you never know, like the places right. leads come from, it, it can be so random and like, interesting, you know, maybe one of their guys or, you know, one of their people working in their shop sees our branding racks, our parts, uh, friend of theirs is like hey i'm looking for a shop that makes this stuff you know oh try this place out totally so yeah. you never know right but, um i think the thought for now is that we'll use the branded tape just for shipping to customers that's and cool and standard tape for everything else um it was kind of cool you could do like custom layouts with your logos so huh. i think actually i don't know if we actually ordered it yet i think we ordered samples of like several different designs oh cool and we're going to review them very cool and see which ones look good Interesting. I, um, when I was doing uh, startups, I was, I was joked that uh, if you had a t-shirt on a business card, people assumed you were a real business. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and uh, I gave a talk or give a talk on sort of like prototyping um, for startups. And one of the easy hacks is like getting stickers with your logo on it to stick on your prototypes. Cause then yeah. people suddenly think they're like commercially available and, <laughs> We actually won a big pitch competition, actually against a company that uh, went public recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we won that pitch competition, and we heard later that the judges thought we were already in production uh-huh. because we. So I basically bought um, packaging and and heat sealed the product into the the. I mean the product, the prototype we made in the basement, right <laughs> into a into a package with a sticker on it with our logo and they just it looked like something you'd buy so wow yeah so that's why could be money well spent you know <laughs> you just look way more legit and someone says wow they really have their ducks in a row they must be a big company let's go talk to them i don't know <laughs> yeah there's something you know there's actually a lot to be said for like you were saying last episode about marketing like yeah perception on the side of your customer it counts for a lot yeah and it carries across every single interaction it's how you email how quickly you email back like just everything yeah which is dismaying and overwhelming but also pretty (laughs) cool (laughs) like you have the control but also on the flip side you have that control like you have to deal with it yeah um i think i mentioned it last episode but we made a visual schedule for the machine sump cleanouts Mm -hmm. just try and streamline that because it's going to be easy to forget Yep. Um, and established a day of the week that we're going to do it on. Nice. Basic thing. Not nothing rocket science about it. Sort of, except that. And I think this is the cool thing about these basic improvements is like the time, the time that would have been spent. And, and it's so easy to miss. I think like, I don't know, one of your employees has to walk over to the other one and be like, Hey, which machine did you clean out last week? And then that's become that becomes part of the day. Yeah. 
and no one, you know, I don't know. I think there's so much of that in every single day. Yeah. <laughs> like we is. were talking about this uh, last week when you took a few days off and it like really highlighted where there were communication, yeah. where you were sort of relying on walking across the shop and asking. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot of like, I don't know, like, do you log it? Do you, I feel like you want to write it down to make sure it doesn't happen. Not because interaction isn't, you know, interaction I think is good, but if you're going to have interaction, you might as well have it about something more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Also on that note, we set a time for our morning meeting. Oh, cool. Also not rocket science, Um, but we've kind of been handling it like, we have a very easygoing atmosphere in the shop. I think uh-huh. that's my experience of it. I think I get feedback that that's everybody's experience. Um, so we'd kind of been handling it of like when it's a good gap for everybody, we'll just take a break and mm-hmm. and have a minute to chat. Um, when it got really busy, that break would not materialize. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'd be running something. Usually Ariel comes in first, I come in second, Quorum comes in third. Okay. And so by the time all three of us were there, when Quorum came in often, I was deep into something, Ariel was deep into something, and he just would jump on a machine and start tending and oh, off away we went, <laughs> which is cool. But, you know, then we wouldn't have the meeting. There was no chance to discuss stuff. Um, so this morning we just decided, okay, every day, 830. Oh, nice. Stop what you're doing. We'll talk. Right. And, and I guess then you can plan around that too. You can plan around it. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is helpful. Nice. And started laying out a basic agenda. Yep. Nothing fancy. How are you doing that? I wrote it on a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it was basically just like um, any issues from the day before, uh-huh. anything that needed to be communicated to everybody in the shop. Cause sometimes like Coram and I will have a conversation at a machine about a specific thing. Gotcha. And maybe Ariel needs to know as well mm-hmm. or vice versa, or they have a conversation and I'm not there. Right. Um, any, you know, larger issues they're having or improvements they want to make. And then we, because we do pretty varied work, mm-hmm. generally speaking, at least once a week, we have to kind of like go over what is going on, what machines, when gotcha. and, and how, and how we're going to sequence things. So usually the, f- the beginning of the week, there'll be a, a decent amount of that. And then depending on how jobs progress through the week, potentially a second or a third, like, okay, we're going to shuffle this to this and that's following that. And cause at the moment our job board organization doesn't, handle that mm-hmm. really you can see where everything's supposed to go but not in what order necessarily interesting yep um i, yeah. I i'm thinking like does it make sense that it is something that is discussed i feel like you could argue it either way right like the system should tell you or maybe not maybe it is something <clears throat> that needs to be I don't know. Or where, where is that tipping point where I think you'd be sacrificing machine time to just build a process that you stick to. And I feel like in our size businesses, those machines are actually like, yes, they're very cheap relative to labor, but you don't have to put a down payment on labor, right? That and they're, they're general, well, not always, but in my business, they are the bottleneck on on revenue. So it's important to keep them going. Right. Yeah. So that might just be fine. I I think it it, it is what it is. Um, I think it's just that having done quite a lot of uh, or experienced quite a lot of ERP demos at this point. Yeah. Really good machine scheduling um, in a way that's adaptable, like flexible and adaptable. Well, yeah. So like you were just discussing having a fixed kind of thing right i think most businesses won't settle for that yeah for the reasons just stated and doing really good adaptable scheduling is actually very complicated right and it's probably one of those situations of like garbage in garbage out so like you put in a guess at your cycle times and then that doesn't actually materialize either faster or slower and then that throws the whole thing off but no one bothers updating it instead you just make like a on the floor call or whatever right yeah and I think, you know, I don't think this is, has to be the case, but from what I've seen, 
it seems like a lot of businesses that are using an ERP system really effectively mm-hmm. have one or more people that it is their job yeah. to run the ERP system, which at a certain scale, I think absolutely makes a lot of sense. Right. At our scale, I think having five minutes where we talk over it and yep. everybody can throw their two cents in is a more efficient way to handle it. Yeah. And I would guess actually that that's a more efficient way to handle it for a lot of companies that are doing it with an ERP. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> I've just seen a lot of tours of lean shops and it just seems like much bigger places than you would expect end up going to like a physical wall where they are scheduling production and they are sort of managing that stuff and it makes it really visual. Anyone can walk up and see the state of things. Anyone can walk up and sort of change things based on real world yeah. stuff. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I've been thinking a little bit about our board and our kind of our next development step with it. Okay. Um, and we've talked a little bit about the strip concept where every part number goes on to a strip of steel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that strip can be moved. Yeah. And the thing that it, uh, it occurred to me is that we will then have the ability to designate status of steps within the strip. Mm-hmm. And we'll also be able to use placement of the strip to designate progress with certain aspects. Interesting. So um, I think if we do that or when we do that, there's potential that we will start to do a little bit better job with sequencing Uh because we will be able to like align them in space according Hmm. to sequence and then right now we kind of have like uh, an indicator on the strip that says it's running on this machine or it's programmed for this machine and i think we could then get a little bit more you know we could put sort of information on the strip that doesn't have to happen we, can, we kind of have two sequences that we can play with independently, I think, at that point, where we could have some processes that can happen anytime within the job processing from start to finish yeah. on the strip. And then things that always do happen in sequence independently could be designated by placement of the strip along a row of different Interesting. processes. So I think we could, you know, we're adding an axis, basically, right. if you're looking at it as a graph. Right. Which I think can be pretty cool. I haven't. We still have to just get a piece of steel and cut it to length <laughs> and put some magnets on it and test it. Right. Which we haven't done. Yeah. That's that's on the list for soon. Interesting. I'd be curious to hear how that works out. Yeah. Um, on kind of topic we were talking about before and something you brought up um, and like kind of looping back to the E-Myth. You've mm-hmm. read the E-Myth, right? Yeah. So there's the like the franchise concept and kind of what you're talking about, about not having tribal knowledge, Mm -hmm. trying to have everything systematized. I have this kind of question of like, what is a reasonable level of expertise to expect in a position? Um, Coming back to the tooling issue, unless you have a very uh, rigid system of tooling organization, where everything is divide, uh, you know, down to specific part numbers of tools and everything fully defined, it's required that you have some expertise of cutting tools to be right. able to engage with that system. Yeah. And so, and maybe this is just a variable that's different across all positions, but it seems like in a machine shop and potentially in any business, it is fair to expect some level of like not everything can be systematized in the flexible system. You have to have some level of expertise in the people engaged in the system. Like, I think there's this concept that in TPS that like really you want people there just to be problem solvers and let the system kind of do the work and Mm -hmm. people will be the problem solvers. Right. But also they have to like know enough about it to to actually engage with it and and do problem solving and I think you're right but I think um I think the goal okay I think it's easy for that to become the way you kind of let yourself off the hook uh-huh. and I think I've seen that in our shop where it's sort of like I knew how to set up the mill to run a particular part 
Sam didn't know that, mm-hmm. and and it was pretty non-obvious how to do it, and which which vice clamps or like which vice jaws went on the vice, and which fingers went on the gripper, yeah. and all that stuff. And I think it's I, I could have taught him like here's how you do it, and here's you know this, and and it's all just like in his head now, and it takes a couple of weeks for him to remember everything, but now it all makes sense, and now he's an expert on that process. Yeah. Um, or you can color code everything where now everything with this setup is yellow and it's like, yeah, put everything yellow on the machine. Right. And like, I think the issue is that without constantly pushing yourself or pushing the bar, you can just leave it as like, oh, and it can feel good to be like, I'm an expert in machining. And so I know which tool we use for this thing and what's going to make the most sense for this operation. And I think I think it allows you to deliver better value. Basically, like the human brain is an amazing thing. And uh, I think it's a basically a waste to use it on those processes. And it's actually expensive. Uh-huh. And so like. I think if you look at like McDonald's relative to like a burger joint that you have all sorts of crazy ingredients on and it's $19 for a burger, <laughs> right? Like what is the difference there? Yes, there's a difference in the quality of the ingredients. I would guess that that does not account for a huge amount of the price difference. Maybe I'm wrong. Like I, I just and maybe this is just in the weeds and my minutia. But basically, like, I think you're right that you need expertise. But that need for expertise is um, if you can move beyond it, it's really helpful to the business. So yeah. like it means that you can automate or hire someone who doesn't need that expertise or start using flex workers who are there part-time and you don't want to invest in training them sure and they're not interested in being like yeah well i guess it's again it's kind of coming back to the like where do you put your energy and what's your cost benefit analysis and like yeah not polishing bad things i think there's not polishing bad systems it's just kind of a question of like where what's easily what's easily systemizable and what, where are places in our business where it might end up being cheaper to just have somebody who's trained with some expertise in that specific thing, because it is yeah. such a variable flexible yeah. system. I mean, an example for us, and this is just because of like the visual cortex of humans and our eyeballs are pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, is like doing QC on paint with, right. with a camera system is right. a huge <laughs> project. Right. And like, But I would just keep in mind that like if someone cracks that in a cost effective way and they happen to also be making buckles like, yeah, they are going to put us out of business basically. Right. (laughs) So like, I don't know. Similarly, like I think you could say, oh, there's a lot of expertise required for machining. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I take a part from a customer. I need to think about how we're accessing the different. pockets and what tools we're going to use and how we're going to get good tolerances and surface finishes and all that. But then we know right now there's a bunch of people working on automating that. Yeah. Right. And you buy a five axis mill instead of a three axis mill and you write, you know, you spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on programming uh, a computer that can now program code that maybe it's slightly less efficient. Maybe it's more efficient. I mean, eventually I assume it will be more efficient. And whoever cracks that nut, like that's going to be the new standard. Yeah. Um, I was who was it? I was talking with a friend about uh, actuarial tables, like like uh, actuaries. There used to be like I forget. I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but basically, people whose people whose job it was to go through data and do the computation. Oh yeah. And then um, Excel was invented, uh-huh. right? And suddenly that job was totally unnecessary and it did a few interesting things one of which was it increased the number of accountants in the country because suddenly it wasn't a cost prohibitive thing to do accounting right to hire an accountant who looks at your stuff and can make better decisions Uh (laughs) whereas before you're hiring you know actuaries to go do all the calculations and then you hire an accountant so I don't know. I, I guess it's just like if you can systemize things and move away from expertise, yeah, you're now creating value 
more easily or cheaper or something. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I've kind of like, it, I think it's, there's a common sort of perspective that like systemize, systemize, systemize. Yeah. And I think it is just important to also remember like, well, sometimes it might not be practical or it might not be um, cost effective at a scale or where, and I, I've just been coming across that recently where I'm like, okay, I either have to like get really on my game with how I systemize my tooling communication needs with my employees. Yeah. Or we need to do some more training right? and get everybody up to snuff. So there's zero uh, confusion about what tool is required for what. Interesting. And, and some knowledge about like what things, more knowledge about what specific tools are for. Right. So yeah. it's reminding me uh the checklist manifesto i think i mentioned this in a different context but like one of the like flying a single engine plane uh if the engine goes out the first thing on the checklist is fly the plane (laughs) and i feel like learning about like tps and lean like you still need to run your business and you still need to make money and yeah yeah i think that's a (laughs) good thing to remember right yeah um yeah uh so this is not really a specific improvement, but uh-huh. and mentioned it on the last episode, but I've been doing a lot of reading and work on uh, building the brand. And I think what's interesting about it is it does have huge efficiency um, implications for the business in terms of it's almost like an SOP for making decisions in the business, but if you came up with a specific SOP, it wouldn't work on a large scale. But I think like, so how, how do you mean? Well, so I'm just thinking like, I feel like we've been having, there's a lot of questions that have come up. For example, we're attending a, a biking event and we're going to have a booth. Uh-huh. And so we started designing the booth and it's like, we're basically uh-huh. designing from scratch, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, what should we do? Like, And there's no nothing driving it except sort of our gut, right? Kind of like, does this make sense for our brand? Right. But there's no documentation of what our brand is, what it represents, what our values are. And the second, like I've started doing a bunch of it, it's not finalized, but even in doing it, I like was very, it was much easier to make those decisions about the booth. Much easier to make decisions about making t-shirts for the company. Uh-huh. Um, much easier to make decisions about uh, next products and how we want to launch those products and who we want to work with. And all these things just sort of fall into place or yeah. are starting to fall into place, which is really interesting. And I think it reduces a lot of sort of ambiguity in decision making. And I think it's going to be a really essential piece in scaling the business because right now everything basically comes back to me. People are like, what do you think about this color? What do you think about this? Cause they like the, you know, cause it's just you, it's just me. And I have it in my head of like what this business is. And so, um, I think it's going to be really fruitful and I think it's going to, make the business much more efficient, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh-huh. Um, it also probably will really streamline your like cust. Well, hopefully would streamline the customer kind of acquisition. Yeah. And like somebody contacts you, you can pretty easily be like good fit, not a good fit. Based, totally. Based on what yeah. you've laid out. Yeah, I hope so. Not waste your time pursuing a lot of, I don't know if you do that now, but yeah. sometimes I certainly like, I think so. Find myself getting strung along just to be nice on a, a project that I know is like not something we're going to do. For sure. Like, why am I, wait, <laughs> I cannot be doing this right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I'm excited. It's making me feel like I need to do more of that. I feel like I did that a lot of that in my head and maybe even wrote something down yeah. like a couple of years ago and I don't know where it is. I should probably go find it and yeah. revamp it. I think it's stuff for sure. Similarly, I've thought about, but haven't like somehow having to write a sentence that like encapsulates what we do. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> you know, really and I have a lot of I have a lot of sentences that get at the general idea uh-huh. or speak to different aspects of it. But yeah, just uh, so anyway. Yeah. Cool. Um, last improvement is, uh, well, probably not, but for this week, um, 
adding example parts at all the stations. No more improvements. We're done. <laughs> That's it. And that concludes <laughs> this podcast. Um, no. So adding uh, example parts at each station. At um, every station in the whole process. We're not done with it, but we've added them across a, a bunch of stations at this point. Yeah. And it feels like a bit of sanity because again, moving away from that tribal knowledge thing. Yeah. It's like, it's not in my head. It's not in Sam's head. It is glued to a piece of cardboard <laughs> that is magneted to the machine. Yeah. Right. And so anyone can sort of compare and, uh, that's cool. Yeah. Hopefully reduce defects, reduce, um, discussion is this good is it bad yeah anyway, so yeah discussion slash uh having to make i think you're more likely if it's a, if there's a discussion it it always seems like there's more likely for someone to give it a pass even if it maybe should be defected mm. unless you've got someone who's just like got a real tight you know no i <laughs> i have one of one pe- person like that who will not pass stuff even uh-huh. tiny stuff then i'm like <laughs> right yeah but I, would, then, I think also as the owner often you're like well we kind of need to sell that so let's pass <laughs> it and having it like getting it outside of your head and on to like compare and contrast yeah uh reduces the it, it's just more objective yep i think so it's been good <clears throat> cool i think i mentioned it last week but we started our paperless parts onboarding it's a big improvement yeah um hopefully get our quote turnaround down under a couple hours wow is the i mean it could be less but right i mean that's already pretty good yeah i think uh yeah there's some key aspects of it that are going to be really helpful with that um and getting towards that ohio goal with all information only handle it once yes Uh, it's a long it's going to be a long road right to, to get there but I feel like paperless parts might be a great example of your question about expertise uh-huh. of like, you need a lot of expertise to quote a part. Well, yeah. And then paperless parts ideally reduces the need for expertise. Yes. So, and again, getting it out of my head. Yeah. Hopefully making it more objective. I was like, well, we could just, you know, you could meet revenue goals just by, <laughs> changing your pricing Interesting. <laughs> without any, you know, potentially assuming the market would bear it right without any changes in your internal process or doing any more work in theory, you could right, you know, significantly increase revenue. Uh, so that's a goal. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's about it for this episode. Thank you all for listening along. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at lichen underscore MFG. And you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing. And we have a Instagram for the podcast at incremental CI. Uh, please continue tagging us in your improvements. They are fun to see and fun to share so we can all improve together. All righty. Catch you next week.